in this episode. Well, remember those days? Remember those days when we didn't know how crap we were? Oh, those were nice days. Well, anyway, we're crap now. That sounds a bit weird and ominous. We have a kind of a toxic environment, potentially, for young children. I love them and I hate them. It's more like a sort of unruly pet. And you have a monster on the loose just to put some stakes on everything. But it's done in a found footage style. For $47. Well now, ironically, we can still say, didn't kids have it bad in the 80s and... Don't kids have it a lot better these days? We will be able to raise children where we can just talk about the Blumange Wars and they, and they won't believe they were real. Proper spacefaring alien species can beam complex circuit diagrams into the heads of our children. Prove me wrong. Change my mind. I think you've got to turn off your Twitter, your Facebook, or turn off your podcasts. Uh, I think we've done a good job of uh, creeping people out. Uh, and if that's not what Revenge of the 80s Kids is all about, creeping people out at home, I don't know what it is. Where the hell am I supposed to find silver bullets? Kmart? It's those darned kids with their bikes going all over my nicely trimmed 80s. But tyre tracks everywhere ringing their bells, flying through the skies with aliens being devoured by shadow monsters and throwing retro 80s at me like it's a new thing I'm supposed to feel cool and nostalgic about. Get those kids off my 80s. That's what uh, yeah, I say. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think you've got a good point there, Ian. I was out for a nice walk in the woods after dark the other night, just in a little sort of ditch that, does, you know, seemed like a bad place for someone to walk around at night, particularly if they were under 14 years of age. And then I thought I saw a, a UFO because there's a big light shining through the trees. Turns out it was just a big movie spotlight that had been placed there to simulate the moon during the shooting of some 80s retro nostalgia. Hello, everybody. We are the 80s quid quids 80s quids 80s squids for it is halloween and so we have gone authentically uh which is appropriate bearing in mind the fact we're talking about kids on bikes specifically i suppose stranger things is going to be up at front and center uh but how do you feel about stranger things ian well at the moment i'm far too distracted by the real life genuine horror that is currently afflicting me that i am now so old that the 80s are considered a period piece well yeah i mean this is the this is a point i'm going to come back to uh later on um but yeah it, it is i mean it is definitely a period piece as somebody pointed out i mean the reason why marty in back to the future 
goes forward to 2015 is because it's as far away from the present of Back to the Future as the 50s were in the past. Yeah, basically, it's, it's time goes. I mean, in the 80s, with a lot of with a lot of programs and films set in the 60s. I don't know. I don't know whether this has always been a thing in pop culture. I mean, we definitely have had a sort of. I think there's a big problem as well because it's not always. When you were in the 80s, having a sort of fetishization of the 50s, it was completely different, by the way. It's not like our current looking back at the 80s, and I shall come on to why in a bit. But yeah, the 50s had lots of stuff, like it was just after the war, and there was a brave new future, and and people were kind of looking back nostalgically to this oh, sort of. Oh, because it was it was before Watergate, it was before the Vietnam yeah. War. Yeah, it's yeah. like people had very few problems, and. America had a great big industrial boom. People had never had it so good. Teenagers started to earn money and so be able to spend it on stuff like The Twist and, you know, uh, malts at the soda fountain and all that kind of thing. And all the cars were shiny and, and everyone was proud of, of being in the greatest country in the world that had won the Second World War without the assistance of any of those pesky Europeans. And, you know, it was just... That's the way it was, you know. The 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 um the in the 80s, by the time all of that had fallen apart, people were well disposed to think of, well, remember those days? Remember those days when we didn't know how crap we were? Oh, those were nice days. When anyway, we're crap now. Uh, but here's Ghostbusters. So you know that's that's how it was in the 80s. Well, we're here now, and we're how can you look back at a time that reflexively was trying to look back at a time when everything was. Uh, they felt, I think, simpler. The nostalgia was strong in the 80s. You, there's no, I don't feel that 80s nostalgia, 80s nostalgia is for people like us going, weren't the films good? We didn't think it was like the cars weren't great and the, were like the cars in the 50s were great compared to the cars in the 80s and the, the, the sort of the fashion wasn't great in the way that the fashion, the, the kind of design and ethic of the 50s was great with all that modernist stuff. When we look back at the 80s, it's more like a sort of unruly pet that has gone over the rainbow bridge and we're just like, remember when we had that pet? Wasn't that pet cool? You know, and that was it. And whereas the 50s was actually a yearning for return to simpler times. So it's completely different. Well, fifties, sixties—they were—they were the boomer time, and the eighties is Generation X. That—that that was our origin story comes from there. So that's where all our landmark signature things are from our childhood. Also, it was, it was just in the boom of technology becoming truly domesticated as well in, in terms of computing and things like that. So we were all there for the birth of the home console and other things like that. And I know there was a lot of. Because things were starting to cater for us, because we were the new kids, and they were really, you know, we talked about Star Wars toys before and things like that, and merchandising was becoming a big thing, and everyone was pushing and chasing and trying new ideas. And because it was before the internet, fads hung around longer. You know, but those fidget spinner things, they came and went, didn't they? Yeah. Whereas Rubik, Rubik Cubes really hung around. And you can go still buy Rubik Cubes if you're so inclined to do so. I think you might have to hunt for a fidget spinner. Yeah, the, the, right. Here's uh, here's the thing. So with the, the two main things that we're taking a look at the kids on bikes phenomenon with are Stranger Things, obviously, um, and It, 
the big horror movie that made a bunch of money uh, from from last year. And looking around the internet, there are a few video essays uh, that posit that Stranger Things presents us with a sanitised vision of the 80s and that it is more critical. And so they're both nostalgic in a way, but the one is a kind of critical nostalgia, whereas the other just kind of says, well, wasn't that cool? Um, now, I want to sort of clear up something about it, first of all. It, as a novel, was written in the 80s. And then it did the, the Marty McFly, went back to the 50s in part of the novel and stayed contemporaneous to the 80s, in the other part of the novel. And so when they've made this film adaptation, they've done exactly the same job. They've gone back to the uh, 80s in uh, the first part and then they're going to be contemporaneous in the second part. So the second part's not even going to be part of the Kids on Bikes revival, which kind of leaves Stranger Things out on its own. I don't think anyone deliberately set out to make it... Like, first of all, they had cross-casting. There's a couple of kids from Stranger Things in it. At least one, if not two. And Stranger Things was kind of a, the, the beginning of this, you know. They didn't know how well it was going to go over, but then it was a big hit. So... It doesn't consciously try and take a different line on the 80s. Kind of part of the point of the story of it is that didn't kids have it bad in the 50s? And weren't they? Isn't it better for kids now in the 80s? Well, now, ironically, we can still say, didn't kids have it bad in the 80s? And don't kids have it a lot better these days? So apparently our childcare from the 50s through now uh, as a society, Western society, it's got a lot better. So good news, everyone. Uh, that still well, means that, you know... Strange Things is an idealised 80s. Well, in, in a sense that it, it strikes lots of positive notes of nostalgia. Yes, it, it invokes things like Dungeons and & Dragons and computer games and BMX bikes. And it is essentially a pastiche of, 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 of Stephen King no, uh, films developed you know, of that genre. Uh, but it's it's not actually taking a full thermometer for what it was like to live in a small town in America in the 1980s. It pretty much sidesteps politics entirely, as far as I can tell. So none of that's there. None of the social unease is really represented there. In fact, it's it's quite modern. You know, they've got a black friend. The black friend in the second series has a girlfriend as well, and it's all fine. No one's particularly racist at all. I mean, 50s, my God, that's before the, the civil rights movement, isn't it? So there was a lot to complain about in the 50s, truth be told. It's just that it's it's if you're going to do nostalgia, you don't want to do nostalgic about how miserable you were. That seems we we always annoys me these days when someone wants to do like something set in the Victorian era. They always have to set up how what a big drudgery it all was, and how miserable and bigoted everyone is. It's like well, that's not really what I want from my historical nostalgia necessarily. There's a place for it, but also sometimes you just want to have people with gaslight and and cans and cabs. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, because the thing is that it kind of takes this idea of the fact that when I was seven, eight, I walked from my home to school, which was for an eight year old boy, a 20 to 25 minute journey. And these days, of course, we have the school run. Children are taken to school in cars and dropped off uh, in the main. This was almost unheard of like if you if you had been driven to my primary school by your parents people would think you were weird 
everybody walk to school. Mm. Now barely anyone does. The whole thing of latchkey kids, that doesn't really exist anymore. Like the idea that your child could have a well, they have a key to the front door, but the idea that the reason they would need it is because they would have to come in through the front door, make themselves a peanut butter sandwich and wait for you to come home for several hours is grounds for ringing social services these days. Like, it really plays on that idea. Oh, weren't we all neglected in the 80s? Yeah, <laughs> that's how it is. And obviously the Stephen King book goes even further than that and goes, weren't people allowed to, you know, basically... Uh, do really unpleasant things to children and they weren't out of the way in the 50s and it's probably true, you know. Uh, so it just takes, I mean, I think it's just picking up on the fact that th it has to do these things in order to be a satisfactory adaptation of the thing it comes from. Stranger Things isn't an adaptation of anything. It's like, a, yeah, it's like you say, John Carpenter and uh, Stephen King stuff and, uh, I mean, and then Spielberg. Um, that's the thing. Stranger Things, not very Spielberg-y, um, actually. Or indeed very... For all the kids that are, you know, on bikes, I do not find Stranger Things to be particularly reminiscent. In order to prepare for this show, I watched Explorers, which is one of my favourite underrated 80s kids on bikes movies. And... In that movie, it does, I mean, because there's a part of it which is very, oh, this is a by-the-numbers family kids have an adventure flick a la The Goonies. So in the first ten minutes, a kid gets beaten up by a bully in school. An incident, I should point out, that is not really developed upon. It just happens because that's what happened. You'd go to school and a bully would beat you up if you're the protagonist in a kids on bikes movie. That's how it rolled, yeah? The bully does get a kind of a comeuppance, but it's not really a thing. It's just, like, done because this is what you do in these movies. Then the kids go off on their bikes, and then they have a conversation where the kid is outside his house, and here is, here's his dad shouting, oh, well, he's out of work, and it's all terrible, because this is what happened. Like, in the 80s, kids had crappy home lives, and they just kind of did it, and that's why they were hanging out together. And Stranger Things, when I think of the family set up there, none of it is like that. They all have pretty, like, they all have more modern families that kind of get up in their business more than the kids in the 80s movies, in my experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm mainly thinking of um, the main kid's parent. I mean, his dad, the parents aren't really in touch with him in terms of his interests. They, they kind of hover over them, slightly disapproving, not really quite getting it. Uh, so there's a sort of the, the isolation from your parents, I think, is part of it. I mean, you're saying you walk to school. I walk to school as well. I cross several main roads to do it as well. The other thing also, I distinctly remember when I was young, like, oh, as young as I could think, we'd be like uh, five. We were in a suburban area. There was essentially a large quarry and and, and grassland areas behind a house and i was allowed to just go off and wander around there as long as i was back by tea time or some other or before dark or something that was all fine you wouldn't even think of that these days and children aren't given unsupervised time anymore maybe that's a detriment to things i don't know but i don't think that's necessarily neglect i think you know kids would just go off with their friends and be in the neighborhood was just something you did when I was growing up. But it wasn't like that we were a gang that was marauding the streets or anything. We were just playing, walking down the streets, having little adventures, 
it's just what you did, wasn't it? What about yeah, you? and it doesn't, and it doesn't. That doesn't happen anymore. I mean, those no. kids in Stranger Things are playing Dungeons and Dragons in a basement. They're not, you know, wandering around pretending to play Dungeons and Dragons in a forest, which is what they were. When they go outside, it's because they're on an adventure, like they're actually involved in some science fiction business. But no, it, it, exactly. Um, I mean, I'm kind of a uh, I think people have kind of gone to there's a vibe there's a kids on bikes vibe that's going on to the extent where I watched a YouTube skit where some on a very popular YouTube channel where they were actually mining out all the material that could be had hey we're just some kids you know on our bikes we thought you might want to come to us I don't know the thing is last time every time we go out on our bikes I, we tend to get abducted or chased by a monster. I'm not really, I'm sure I'm up for that intense stuff today. You know, it's that kind of sketch. Yeah, so there's a definitely a thing. But to a certain extent, I think we've already seen it. It's been and gone, hasn't it? Because its second part will take place contemporaneously. And Stranger Things, in which they'll all be older, and so nearer the 90s, isn't back till next year. So... Well, I suppose. I mean, maybe there is only so much material you can mine out in the 90s. I was having to think about what other bike films you can think of. E.T., obviously, uh, is one of them. But when I, I've seen Explorers. I like the Explorers as well. My dad sent it to me on a, on a VHS tape, and it was double-billed with my science project. So the two films have always been kind of tied together in my head. But Explorers is a lovely idea of like how you can get kids from Normalsville into outer space. It's like, oh, that's a clever way of doing it. Uh, I actually realised watching it last night, and I'm not sure how this stacks up in time, but the plot of Explorers is actually very close to the plot of um, Contact with Jodie Foster. Yes. Yes. Well, the thing is, it's... Do you think that the aliens in Explorers deflate the premise when you meet them and they're just kind of goofy and think television is real? Um, no. I think, I think what, what you start to understand is that uh, essentially... It's kind of a very clever science fiction uh, conceit because what Explorers is saying is we are so stupid that the children of proper spacefaring alien species can beam complex circuit diagrams into the heads of our children. They won't meet like adults because adults are too dumb and would just try and kill them. Um, but that even the children of these aliens are able to do stuff that like make an inertia-free force field bubble into which you could fit, you know, a, a spacecraft. And that's just kids, that's like a toy to these aliens. Like, how far beneath them are we? Uh, you know, and, and it, yeah. Well, another thing also about the whole thing about bikes and the 80s, you've got to bear in mind there was a big BMX craze that did genuinely happen in the 80s. So a lot of the films were kind of covering that. Also, if you have child protagonists, they need to get from A to B. And the only vehicle they can use is their own bicycle. That allows them to transit vast periods, of, uh, uh, vast areas in a reasonable amount of time. They can't drive unless they've got some sort of cooler older brother who they can get dragged into the story as well. But it's just sheer convenience for getting about. How does Elliot escape the cops? Well, on foot, he's going to get caught very quickly. On a bike, he has a fighting chance. He can nip down narrow alleyways where cap cop cars can't chase him. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's no point on picking the where the cliche comes from because it's a fairly obvious thing and it makes total sense. So I don't think anyone's really got a beef with that. I think it's more the fact that it's like people have got... 
essentially when you tie it all down this kids on bikes buzz is about stranger things isn't it i mean it's not about no yeah, it, 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 it was a hit series i don't know whether it was a surprise i think they knew they had a big property on their hands because the, the I, I, I didn't have netflix at, at the time but I remember seeing the adverts for it coming on uh, YouTube, and there was definitely a bit of a buzz about it. And it was certainly very well received. I can't believe the creators of it were like, uh, yeah, people will be so-so about it. I think they all knew this was going to be, uh, this was going to hit a lot of buttons. And certainly it was, it was the first thing I watched once I got my Netflix subscription as well. I think, I think what's really interesting about it is that uh, obviously, the last series of Stranger Things was last year about this time, so 2017. So the first one was in summer-ish, like late summer of 2016. So we're in 2018 now. Um, and the rip-offs are not strong with this one. And yet, I mean, obviously Explorers was capitalising on earlier, like E.T., basically. They were ripping off E.T. Uh, Goonies, to a certain extent, was ripping off Indiana Jones and the E.T. thing. We had Lost Boys in the offing, which kind of was a riff on the E.T. thing, but taking it darker. Like, people were ripping off the original Kids on Bikes movie at this time. And yet, we're not now. And I think there's a couple of things to throw into the mix here. First of all, Super 8 was out a few years ago. I think it's 2012 that Super 8 came out. And that's set in 1979. I mean, I looked this up. It's not set in the 80s, although it is a homage to Spielberg. And it almost feels to me as if J.J. Abrams was like, I'm going to set it in 1979 so it can't be lumped in with other 80s properties like that. Like, I'm cutting it as close as I can to still be vaguely plausible. But I want it to sit outside of that. Like, he almost, like, didn't want to capitalise on that nostalgia. Uh, have you seen Super 8? I haven't seen Super 8, no. Oh, OK. Well, that's... Mm, OK, well, there's not much to say then. I mean, it's a sort of doer... That's the problem with it. There's not much fun in Super 8, in my opinion. No. Well, yeah, I mean, Stranger Things has a lot of nostalgia. And, of course, as guys of Generation X, even though we weren't living in America, we can project it to the kids very comfortably because, in many ways, they're reminiscent of what the, the kids we were seeing in our own childhood on, on films because they were in America. It, it's very easy for us to self-insert into that fantasy. And they're all likable guys, and we all wish we'd hung around. Well, I do anyway. Kids like this when I was young. They actually remind me more of my older brother because I was the younger brother, and I was they're never cool. But my older brother had a really had he was really doing always doing cool things like role playing and hanging around with his mates, and he was having fun, interesting stuff. And I was frozen out of all that. So they they actually remind me of my older brother and his clique of friends. But again, what do you you said there hasn't been a gold rush of people mining eighties nostalgia of kids in bikes? Well, what else is there to really do? The kids in bikes that have an adventure and. Even in Strange Things, all they're doing is invoking the nostalgia. They invoke Ghostbusters. They don't invoke music of the time. They invoke Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, they use it as a, as a framing mechanism. But uh, the main story is, of course, there's this horror element of the other world. And I think if you're going to rip off Stranger Things, what you're more likely to do is have your own version of the Underside, a sort of darker parallel universe running to ours, which is a much more uh, old... That's an idea that's been knocking around for years, the, the dark dimension that's just like ours, but sinister and twisted. 
Well, I think it's more, yeah, what you're talking about is more in the direction of uh, ripping off John Carpenter, basically, all those, like, 80s horror movies, which has been happening. You know, there's a lot of horror movies with your synthy things like It Follows and stuff. But it's like there's two strands there. You can either pick up that or you can pick up the kids on bikes. And the reason why I think that I would, I'm sort of surprised, but then there are reasons against this that I can see quite obviously, is that the reason why kids on bikes existed, or at least the children, family movies of the 80s, and we can broaden this out to encompass Flight of the Navigator and other things, even though they're not particularly bikey and they don't have gangs of kids. I mean, Space Camp technically is a kids on bikes movie i guess but has no bikes in it because they don't need to cover vast distances during the plot because they're all in a space camp well i so think they uh, cover cover quite a lot of vast distance in that movie actually well yes but not on a bike yes uh but yeah it, it's like yeah gangs of kids right the reason why a gang of kids is a is a thing to have in a movie which it demonstrates is because it brings the production cost down a long way. And the, the problem with it is that it is actually unsuitable for children. But when when they, what they were like is like, well, we can hire these child actors, like, young. I think maybe in this day and age, we are more afraid of the fact that... Like, let's take a look here. Obviously, Goonies and Lost Boys has all the Corys. Um, and Explorers has... Ethan Hawke and Odea River Phoenix. Yeah? I mean, and then this is the thing. I was, like, watching last night. This came out in 1985, so I was 10, and Ethan Hawke is supposed to be playing a kid who's, like, maybe 13. Actually, he was 15. So, weirdly, if you look at Ethan Hawke these days, you'd never know it. But when Ethan Hawke was 15, he looked kind of young for his age. I think in the 80s there was this shameless thing about... Because Ethan Hawke is now, a, a you know, legitimate... He's got a long career. and But then the thing about it is if you then go through the rest of the kids who were famous for being on bikes roster, you suddenly understand that... You know, I mean, Drew Barrymore was in E.T., River Phoenix was in Explorers, Corey's 1 and 2 were in Lost Boys and in uh, Goonies. Yeah. Not great. Like, what happened to these kids? Like, people loved those Corys back in the 80s, and it well, didn't look, end well for them. Ho- we're, we're, that's, that's a whole show in itself, the horror story, what happened to 80s ch- children's stars. You know, there might have been something going in the background, but, you know, children's stars often flame out into drugs. Who knows why? Or death, and horrible ends. But I think... Not to sell strange. You think he's saying strange things short by saying it, it was just big because it invoked these things. It's also what it did with it. I think one of the major good things about Stranger Things, the original series, was it was only eight episodes long. There's not a lot of fat hanging on that that series plot, is there? Every episode ha- advances what's going on. There's no plot arc buffer episodes where nothing really happens, is there? Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that in a second because I want to finish off on the point. The point is that I think that studios, as a, so what studios have done, is self-identified. We have a kind of a toxic environment 
potentially for young children and we don't want to modify our environment so we're just not going to make these uh, things the only kids on bikes movie that was made in recent time is a thing called earth to echo which i'm pretty confident you haven't seen it was on a streaming service over here and i watched it and it was like a, it's a genuine kids on bikes movie uh with with kids actual bikes but it's done in a found footage style which is kind of you know a match up um and it you know it did it did no business like nobody wants this is the other thing nobody wants a family movie of that type anymore which i think is a, actually a bit of a shame i think that's one of the things the reasons why 80s nostalgia even exists because 80s has this big stock of movies that are actually movies but are intended for family viewing whereas now has a big stock of despicable me and uh, you know pixar movies but when it comes to actual family entertainment with real actors in a big budget thing, Harry Potter kind of came and went and got, you know, progressively darker. But nothing, well, I mean, there isn't anything, is there? Is there? Am I missing something? No, I think things have been tried and they generally haven't fared well. So they've kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, generally speaking. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, we can't ignore the fact that Stranger Things is not family entertainment. It's it's supposed to be. Uh, I mean, this is why it's nakedly trying to hit the nostalgia buttons. What's really intriguing when I watched Explorers last night is that that also tries to hit fifties nostalgia, because the very first shot it's got loads of footage from the uh, This Island Earth and the War of the Worlds from the nineteen fifties in it, and it does try and invoke that whole. And then at the end, when the the aliens. Um, explain why they won't just come to earth they invoke um oh, michael rennie was ill the day the earth stood still yeah yeah so essentially um all of the science fiction sensibility of explorers is bound up in looking back at the 50s um and that's what i mean this is one of the things where it's like if you're going into stranger things uh, to try and to try and get the same vibe you fail to get the same vibe because what they're doing is saying hey look at the 80s we're being all 80s about this if they'd have been trying to and i know this is not a, a, a creative i mean it could be a creative agenda but essentially if it was like a sort of like for like comparison you'd have like loads of 80s like you could make a museum piece where the kids are still into 50s science fiction in an 80s period piece and it would play and then you'd be like wow this really is 80s whereas actually what happens is you dress all the 80s kids up in uh, ghostbusters uniforms and have them playing dragon's lair in the suit in the, in the arcade and it's like yeah so this is 80s kids doing contemporaneous 80s things which may or may not be close to the truth the fact is if you were a science fiction fan in the 80s who was a child you would be getting all of your stuff from books and from old science fiction movies that were shown on cable because the big event movies would be few and far between um war of the worlds is also invoked in explorers as well um but, yeah, that's why we're talking about yeah. war of the worlds is in explorers oh, yes. yes um what was i gonna say yes but uh on a large part though we have kind of said we've hinted this the 80s-ness of Stranger Things, as much as it's there and it's invoked and, and, and it's loved and enjoyed, it's also shallow you know, at the same time as well. The, the principal good thing about Stranger Things is it's a mystery, a mystery series. A boy has disappeared and gone to an alternate dimension, and it's people figuring these things out. Obviously, kids, having much more looser imaginations, are onto this already. But 
key adults, the mother of the missing child and the town sheriff, are getting clue on this very quickly and finding other avenues of investigation the kids aren't. And it's about them all coming together. And you have a monster on the loose just to put some stakes on everything. So, you know, I think you could you could make Stranger Things a contemporary story in the modern age. You'd lose a lot of the sort of flavor and, and, and things that made it stand out, I think, perhaps. I think that's what The core what story is still there. Yeah, I think what you've put your, flavor on, your finger on that is exactly right. In Stranger Things, the 80s is flavor. It's it's not there's no it's not trying to talk about the eighties. It's just using yeah. the eighties. Uh, don't talk about Ronald flavor. Reagan. We, we played Pac-Man <laughs> in, in 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 the coffee shop. Yeah. Sort so of. yeah. So um, I mean, so the the thing about it is that what you pointed out earlier, which we'll come back to now, is that uh, Stranger Things is two seasons of eight episodes, and I think the eight episode arc that has now been popularized by netflix as a sort of premium format it's what they also did for the defenders to less good effect is that eight hours is that point at which something stops being can you can you can in your head fit it all in your head at once it's just an eight hour movie and that's what encourages the binge yes Yes, I would agree. I mean, I have a very conflicted relationship with arcs that I've talked about before. I love them and I hate them. And I like the fact that these series keep it concise with just eight stories. Because then if you're going to have an arc, it's not waffling. By the way, the second series of Stranger Things was nine episodes. But one of those episodes was essentially a cold sack where uh, Eleven leaves town uh, for an episode and decides to come back again at the end of it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, this, there's a structural story which I don't believe has any particular consequence later on, though, does it? That, 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 no, well, it lays down things for next season. For the next, next season, yes. Yes, uh, but it has no consequence. They even debated about cutting it out, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, I think that that tight structure, every episode of Vantas It, I mean, you know, by the end of one episode, things everything has moved on. A cliffhanger from one episode is is usually resolved with resolved, but you know, things have moved on within the first fifty minutes. They'll drag out that cliffhanger for a whole episode just to pad things out. The lack of padding is what I like about it. it's a it's a it's a just a well constructed drama about parallel dark universes and the monsters that dwell within it, and that's quite interesting. And we like all the characters. We love the sheriff. We love the kids. We even love the jerk characters as well, but all our guys. I mean, I'm wondering if this is a thing that's going to um, come up in the future, is that um, another series that kind of has experimented with a short... Well, series that have, uh, on television, that have uh, experimented with a shorter formula. A lot of cable shows do it. But, I, I mean, The Shield eventually shrunk down to ten episodes for the last three seasons. Um and ten episodes now feels like quite a, a yeah, decent. The, the, the new Doctor Who, the new Doctor Who is only ten, ten episodes long. Yeah, um, and the other thing that um, was more, I think, is more consciously trying to trim some fat with limited success, in my opinion, was American Horror Story, uh, which is interesting because American Horror Story, uh, for a minute, made people believe that anthology series were going to be a thing. <laughs> and then after they tried True Detective and the second season of that just went 
sideways. They were like, okay, no, it's not going to be a thing. It's just American Horror Story, apparently. But for the last two seasons, since they, I mean, the thing is, American Horror Stories is suffering from that diminishing returns thing where it's like they managed five seasons of getting all the the major points out that they wanted to get out and then the sixth one they kind of went well let's do found footage and reality television and they split the series essentially into two halves so it was like two mini seasons and then this last one was only 11 episodes and oh god it feels like you can feel every minute it is basically a really turgid like single story and then they're doing a series at the moment might have picked up might not we don't know but the fact is that yeah 10 episodes seems to be this kind of barrier around that 11 is okay 9 is fine you know blah 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 but that's where people are, i'm wondering if we're going to tend now to see eight um i mean we could end up in a weird sideways universe where the bbc classic six episodes in a season is seen as a viable thing people do that all the time now you know i i wouldn't mind it particularly i mean the old model of the 22 or 26 episode seasons was to have that habitual viewer every week and get get the advertisers there for your regular audience with binge watching it's completely different particularly as these binge series tend to be on premium subscription channels anyway yeah, I don't. I just say. I mean, yes. I, I, as we come round to the, the sort of the end of the show, uh, I would like to say one of the things about this streaming and binging, and well, you know, apart from having an effect on the season length, one of the things I've noted is that from the past, I'll say, fifteen years, there are certain series, burn notice. I'm looking at you, that have got very good reputations, but because the people who make them kind of shunt them onto premium streaming services that go with actual channels or don't even bother to put them on streaming services at all and don't really bother with a DVD release. Or um, I mean, the WB has this down to a fine art, right? Because they don't put things on streaming. I've never seen a season of Supernatural available to stream anywhere except on the WB. But they managed to counter this by making the actual box sets of the seasons no more than £20 at the most. So it's easy to keep up and actually give them directly money. They've done, That's genius. But then there are certain series where it's like, well, we're both going to put the barrier to entry for the DVD purchaser artificially high. I've got in my collection, which I probably will get rid of at some point, two seasons of Arrow, which I bought because I picked them up in a double box set for £12. That's cheap, you know? Like Whereas other things like, yes, I'd quite like to see burn notice but to buy it on dvd this season one would cost me 45 pounds not going to happen so what i'm saying is is this going to be the next generation of forgotten content is all the stuff that the networks were too proud to put on streaming services and then also too not business savvy enough to release for cheap on dvd is that are we storing that up do you think I think these things will inevitably depreciate in terms of how much they cost. For me, the, the Actually, big one is West. What's interesting is they tend to go up because because nobody buys them, they only do a limited run. And then over time, that limited run gets more and more of a value. They never do a second run. So you go back to say, I wonder if this is cheaper now. Nope, it's about 20% more expensive than it was last time I looked. So, yeah, but uh, sorry, continue. Westworld. Westworld. Westworld was the big series for me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first series. It was very surprising. It did things I wasn't expecting it to do. I was very pumped for season two, and I had to wait two years. Yeah, you know, they took a year off. 
uh, in, before season two came out. I haven't seen season two. I've avoided all spoilers for it, but I know the general vibe is it's not as good as season one by a mile. But I, ha- I haven't watched it yet because I, the only way to get it is HBO. And there's a reason Game of Thrones is the most pirated show in Australia because the only way they see those programs over here until quite recently was basically subscribe to Rupert Murdoch cable channel. Uh, and uh, so HBO has Westworld. I have not seen Westworld. They, I've just looked it up, Googled it right now. Uh, DVD Land is willing to sell me a Region 4 copy of Westworld Season 2 for $47. For 10 episodes? Whew. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, this is exactly the point. It's like... In a micro... One of the problems with competition, particularly with material, when there's more content, one of the problems that content producers have, I am a big uh, Bandcamp addict. I buy a lot of music on Bandcamp. And I know what royalties artists who have their stuff come out on CD make off stuff. And I know that even if I'm paying quite skin flinty per album, on Bandcamp, they're making three times the royalty they would be if they were with a major label off me, even with Bandcamp's cut. So I don't feel at all guilty about paying very little for these individual items because, one, I can't preferentially give one... I mean, I know that the idea of tipping, but that's like me saying, you are a better musician than this guy who I'm not going to pay as much money to. And that doesn't sit well with me, so everybody gets the same amount. Until I'm rich, you get the same. You get the standard payment, because I can't. Music doesn't work like that for me. It's not a competition. You're all as good as each other. Okay, when I produce my ten albums of the year, it's going to be all albums of people where I'm like, I'm not ranking them. I'm just saying these are ten albums I thought were really good this year. You know, that's how it works. And the thing is that you then go round on Bandcamp, and some people set the barrier to entry. I mean, it's only. Fiver, that's the minimum you can pay. It's like, well, I won't pay it then because I don't believe that you are twice as good as my minimum payment to other artists. And I can't legitimate giving you that money just because you've set that barrier on it. Now, that's a micro version of the same thing. I cannot give somebody £50 for 10 episodes of television, even if I dearly wanted to, because I simply don't believe that television is any better than certain things I could view included with a subscription on Netflix. And that's the nature of the competition. The eyeballs are important. You have, if you want people to give you their eyeballs, well, good for a Halloween show to make that metaphor, then you have to set the barrier to entry monetarily low enough that they won't just go, well, you've set the barrier to entry too high. I can get something just as good. Not the same as, but just as good as whatever you're producing included in this subscription or for this outrageously low price or for whatever it is and that is that is how forgotten content comes to exist people don't realize where what market they're in yeah i think i think you've got some concerns there i mean netflix is certainly winning at the moment uh, hbo has a lot of problems one of the biggest problems is the game of thrones is coming to an end and they are scrambling to find something to stick in there to fill to fill that hole, that void that's rushing towards them and also, uh, you know, it's it's a big the price point on these DVDs is a big barrier to entry for someone who's I've heard a lot of fuss about Westworld. I might go check it out. Oh, it's fifty bucks for the first season box set. I don't think I'm going to watch that on curiosity. I mean, ideally, 
it, it might be fine for someone who loves the series and just wants to have it on their shelf as prestige for those weirdos who still like to own DVDs on their shelves these days. But, you know, it's... It, whereas Netflix, you subscribe and there it all is. It's yeah. all there. The legacy of all their work. I mean, we'll see what happens when their Marvel license runs out. Then there might be some holes in their catalogue. But at the moment... Um, I, I don't think that... The, the nice thing for Netflix is that their Marvel work has not been the stellar success I think that they believed that it would be. Their big ones are Orange is the New Back, Strange Things, things they entirely own, and they're entirely focused on not having to depend on Oh, yeah, on but anyone. Netflix Netflix can lose its Marvel stuff. And the, we start, I mean, they've the cancelled Iron, Iron Fist Yeah, that, that, broke today. Today, that news broke today, yes. And, and I was like, oh, well, then, fair enough. I can't, can't say I'm shocked or surprised having endured the last two seasons. But anyway... Um, yeah, they've got plenty of original IPs to be getting on with anyway. They're firing on all thrusters and they're always trying new things and new prestige television. They're always throwing something else out there. So Netflix is fine. It is definitely the future. Just to subscribe and hear it all is stream it through your television set. I don't need to own a box set of Stranger Things. I can go watch Stranger Things anytime I want. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, you can buy them on uh, yeah, yeah of, course, of course you can because and, there are some, some weirdos who like it on the shelf yeah sometimes well no i mean I, I there are certain things where i am among that uh things like there's a show they do called travelers i wouldn't say no to that on dvd even though i can watch it anytime i want on the streaming service because it's that good but anyway yeah look, okay so just to finish off because we are the 80s kids and i want to i wanted to end the show on an 80s note i think one of the things that that this looking at this phenomenon kind of solidified for me is that one of our contentions and it is supposed to be controversial and people are supposed to kick back at us and nobody ever has our fans are very happy because our fans are very silent and yet we know we've got some fans which is really weird um but the fact is that our contention is that or at least we it's a sort of a thing a keystone of the show that the 80s produced some culture that will not be beaten that the 80s produced cut like yeah okay so we've got a marvel cinematic universe now and that's awesome and we've got stranger things now and that's brilliant and we've got all of this stuff but some of the things from the 80s cannot be reproduced and to be fair still stand egg i watched explorers last night and not for one second did i think oh those special effects look awful oh that writing is terrible oh then i was like right there with it and even though my son is only two and a half it's a universal rated movie so he was sat there in the room with me and he can't quite go an hour and a half he runs out of patience at about an hour and 10 minutes he got very bored at that point which is weird because that's when all the really crazy stuff starts happening but up until that point he was like "Ooh, they're in a spaceship oh it's flying all those and he was taking it all in and he didn't see any difference because he's two and a half between that and anything else he'd ever watched on television and I just think that the 80s does produce this content because it happened to be the right decade in the right place at the right time in terms of, I mean, a lot of cultural things, music as well. But um, maybe that's even more complicated to unpick. But movies, certainly, I think the movies of the 80s have a particular quality that uh, I think sometimes with the 70s you have to, I mean there's a lot of adult oriented you know scar face and all that kind of stuff where it holds up today but you still can't show it to children family entertainment in the 70s 
Mm, oh dear. And family entertainment as it went to the 90s got very extreme. I think that's the point. More generic, PG-rated, PGU-rated family entertainment was at the best in the 80s that it's ever been. Put a desk. I've got a cup of coffee in front of me. Sign on the front. Prove me wrong. Change my mind. Yes. Uh, and perhaps it, we need a whole episode just to unpack this thesis because it's very interesting. Because the people who made all that entertainment for us in the 80s came from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. That was where they came from. Um, I, I think it's true. I mean, our examination of the films at the time was the 80s was a time of great invention. And then you get to the 90s, and we, we were kind of down on the 90s because it does have some bad things there. But we were surprised to find there was always some gems to hang on to. It's only when you get to the 2000s where you find films that are worse than the, the worst that we thought we had in the 90s would have be found. But when it was good, it was good. Uh, so yes, I think it's just because these things, it's, it's like music when it, when the genre first opens up, it's full of invention. It's very real, very genuine, but then obviously it becomes more commoditized later. Uh, and I think that essentially is what happened with the entertainment that we grew up with. People realized what the formula was is they thought they knew what the formula was. And so it became a lot more shallow to us, a lot more pumped out, a lot more corporate. I think there is there is definitely a thing where... I mean, because the reason why... The thing about it was the 50s people that we're talking about, the people looking back at the 50s in the 80s, had to have... Well, they were adults by this time, so they realised that the radio serials they were idolising were made to sell breakfast cereal. They, they didn't exist for any other reason than to have the advert for breakfast cereal in the middle of them. And we'd kind of... We've slowly moved away from that idea of here's the product, now write some content to go with the product. Yeah, Except, like, in the 80s it kind of crossed over because here's He-Man, now write a story to go with He-Man. But He-Man already is a seed of a story, whereas a breakfast cereal really isn't. So we have that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that that's one of the things. Like, those 80s creators were like, yeah, they were going off all over the shop, but they were going off all over the shop in this wellspring of creativity. And I think one of the things was, because they'd affectionately remembered things that they'd consumed as children, they wanted to produce stuff for children in the main. I mean, yeah, there was other stuff too. I mean, 80s horror is also well regarded. But if you do go through E.T., Ghostbusters, Golden Child, uh, blah, 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 things like The Lost Boys and Gremlins were seen as outliers because they were too adult for a young audience we always well, there, was, like, there was subversive yeah yeah exactly but things that had a parental guidance tag that was seen as the norm now stuff that's pg is usually 12 and then you have to decide whether it's a half 12 or a mild 12 and say i mean vi virtually nothing comes out just straight pg and then you know your universe all of this stuff is just like we we have not we have turned our I from family entertainment. I think possibly because families don't exist like that. Kids can go off in their room and play Minecraft on their tablets. And there is no requirement for the family to all sit around and enjoy the I, same thing. I think the, uh, the, that's true. It's a fragmented viewing audience these days. It's also that children these days are very different to children of our own childhood. That sounds a bit weird and ominous, but I think it's true that because we didn't, we weren't plumbed into the internet when we were kids. 
which would have given us a very different worldview and a very different social structure than the ones they have these well, well to, to finish on a know. note of looking at the future which is a good thing i suppose uh, but also to sort of uh, relate a personal experience i think the next generation is going to be really interesting because with our son he gets he's got all the netflix he can eat so master and the bear like i said going round and round and round in a circle over and over again he can watch as much fireman sam as much thomas the tank engine as much as whatever he wants as he wants and the nice thing about that is when dad says hey should we go out to the play center he's like jumping for it because he's not restricted in his i just want to watch this by myself area and that means that i think we're looking at a future where as long as we you know hold to the line and keep going forward family entertainment is going to come back because now the new families going forward from now are going to want to spend time together just because they like hanging out. And that's possibly a thing that's going to come up because we've had this big schism from the 80s through the 90s right up to now where families have kind of been like everybody's doing their own thing in their own room, blah, blah, blah. And going forward, I think people, I mean, the, the good thing about a bad world, which is uh, unfortunately what we seem to be living in at the moment, is that those people who are nearest and closest to you become people that you're relying on to, to, to sort of shore you up. And as a parent... I want to be a parent to my son, but I do want to hang out with my son as well. I mean, I actually, I mean, I know that he's going to hang out, you know, with his friends and we want him to do all that as well. But we do want some family time as well. And I'm wondering whether that's going to generally become a thing with the following generations, because there's far too much fragmentation at the moment, possibly. Maybe I'm just getting old and maybe I'm just getting sentimental. I don't know. That's my thing. I think family entertainment in the next couple of decades, it's going to come back. That's my opinion. Yes. Well, uh, we shall see. I think it'll all be fine. I'm not as pessimistic as most people. I'm just frustrated about the culture war, which I swear is only being fought by 8% of the population in total. And everyone else is just a bit fed up of it on both, on both sides. And uh, yes, I think everything will just settle down in the end. And hopefully we will be able to raise children where we can just talk about the Blumange Wars and they, and they won't believe they were yes, real. Yes, that's cool. And I think, I mean, this is the thing. I, I know that a lot of people, like at the moment, the screen time controversy for parents is front and centre, like my son spends too much time staring at a screen, right? It's right there, right there contemporaneously. Um, and my belief is that when generations of people who've all been addicted to screens right the way down the stack come together, what they're going to value is time when they're not looking at a frigging screen. The reason why it's so divided yeah. is because the people who are currently, like there's an older generation who didn't get used to being in front of a screen and a younger generation who like being in front of a screen and therefore that's a natural schism between the parents and the children but when everybody loves screens then when they come together and aren't looking at screens gonna be like isn't it nice to be away from the screen for a bit and that's gonna be great for everybody you 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 were saying you're feeling a bit down about the world right now there's things to be down about especially in britain where you got brexit i'm sorry about that but generally speaking things are generally okay believe it or not i think you've got to turn off your twitter your facebook Shut all down his social media. Turn off your turn off your podcasts. Uh, switch off the television. Just walk out in the world and go talk to your neighbours. It's fine. Everything's kind of fine. We're living in quite a peaceful time. All things, all things considered. considered, 
generally speaking, that's true. I have to say from uh, over here in old Blighty, not quite as true. Uh, oh, you've got Brexit. Yeah, we've got... I mean, Brexit, Brexit is worse than Yeah, Trump. we've got... We've got <laughs> stupid prices for food in the supermarket it's all self-inflicted it's ridiculous but let's that's all blamongy and we didn't want to end there anyway so i'm going to call a halt on it i'm going to say if anyone has an opinion about the 80s and about binge watching and about whether the 80s family entertainment thing is going to come back then they need a place to go and do that that didn't exist in the 80s and that would be the internet where on the internet might they come and talk to us about those things ian well, Leo, one place they could go would be our Facebook page. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. But podcasts are what it's all about. And to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time, all you have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in word, dot blogspot.com. Once there, you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes direct to your PC for dark reasons of your own. If people want to subscribe directly to the cast, Leo, uh, how might they do that? Well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as in numbers again so 80s if people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today they would consider offering their support on patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still they could check out our patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids and that's 80s the word so the kids have put their bikes into the bike shed and the sun is going down and the monsters are coming out, but uh, they're all looking at their iPads. So that's why the 80s uh, kids on bikes thing hasn't really happened, because now kids are too busy playing Minecraft uh, to be bothered with going outside. Yeah, in, in 20, 20 years from now, are we going to have like period dramas where everyone's on iPads all the time and it's going to seem quaint? We, uh, in all likelihood, uh, knowing the way that history works, Absolutely. So there we go. Uh, and that was the 80s Kids uh, Halloween special, which uh, is all about, I mean, to be fair, it's very much like contemporary horror in that we've talked about 80s horror quite explicitly or 80s kind of some weird thing. But then the real horror is all lurking under the surface. It's this idea of binge watching and corporations manipulating our viewing habits and the fragmentation of the family. There's a whole subtext to our Halloween special where the horror is not on the surface. Um, and so I'm quite happy with that. Uh, I think we've done a good job of uh, creeping people out. Uh, and if that's not what Revenge of the 80s Kids is all about, creeping people out at home, I don't know what it is. Final thoughts, Ian? Final thoughts is I shall say goodbye, followed by some music, after which I recommend you to sit in your quietened room, brooding on all you have learned. Marvellous. Bye. Farewell. <laughs>